0: So, let's start with a story in a bit of history. 1941, during the Second World War, there was a Polish priest um, by the name of Maximilian Kolbe. And he was arrested by the Gestapo and he was taken to Auschwitz concentration camp because he was hiding Jewish refugees that were in Poland at the time. The camp had three escapees, allegedly three people escaped. So... As reprisal against those escapees, the camp deputy commander said, right, I'm going to get 10 men, I'm going to randomly select 10 men and I'm going to starve them to death. So he picked 10 men out. One of those men just broke down, began screaming for his wife and his family, screaming for them, I'm never going to, I just want to see their faces again. I just want to see my wife and my kids again. It was then in that moment that Maximilian stepped forward and he said to the soldiers, he said I'm a Catholic priest Uh, I'm old take me, let this man go he's got a wife and kids and in a little lapse of cold cruelty in that camp, the commander agreed, so this man went went free and Maximilian joined this ten who were going to be starved to death. Now In the starvation cell, um, Maximilian, he led Mass every day, sang hymns with the prisoners every day. And as these prisoners, they all withered away out of this life. And after two weeks of dehydration and starvation, Maximilian was the only one left, only one left alive. More prisoners were due at the camp, and they needed that cell and the camp commander um, told Maximilian that he was going to get a lethal injection. Just to get rid of him, they needed a cell. And eyewitnesses at Maximilian's execution recall him calm and raising his arm up for the injection as the poison went into his veins. Now... The man who Maximilian died in place of, he spent the rest of the war in concentration camps. In 1944, he was liberated, miraculously, and reunited with his wife. Unfortunately, not his children. They were killed a few days earlier in a bombing. But he was, he was reunited with his wife. And he spent the rest of his life telling of the, this heroic act of Maximilian Kolbe. And... Um, he lived until 1993 i think it was no 1995 dying at a ripe old age of 93 years old so maximilian kolbe gave up everything he had at that point in time so that this man could have the rest of his life given to him so on that somber note welcome <laughs> Today, I want us to um, pick up on a whole lot of those to be continued that I left with us last week. Remember last week? If you were here, there was lots to be continued. Um, If you weren't here last week, you need need to leave right now and go out and listen to the previous sermon because we covered a whole heap of context. Yep, no. (laughs) Good work, Sally. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But go back and listen to it. It's on SoundCloud and the podcast and whatever else, just to catch up with a bit of the, the information that we dug up so that we can reference it today. Um, as, we t- as we talked about last week, we're looking at the second of two tiny little parables in Matthew 13. I'm still continuing my way through it, even though we're doing these new outer circles, Sundays and stuff, I just sort of can't disconnect from this. I want to see the chapter done. So that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at the second that of these little parables that ties in with the first. Um, They're in Matthew 44, 45 and 46, sorry, verses 44, 45 and 46 of Matthew chapter 13. So, turn there now if you want. We're going to read both parables today, not just the first one, we're going to read both so that we can just bridge the gap into what we're looking at this week as to what we looked at last week. We down? Yes, Ben, we are. Yes, (laughs) Ben. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Fantastic, everybody. I don't want us falling asleep because we were a bit, a bit snoozy last week. Let's, let's read um, uh, verse 4. Verse 44, sorry. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven... Is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, so last week, last week we unpacked the first of those densely packed little parables, um, and we explain. We came to the explanation. My understanding of it is this: the field as the world as Jesus has talked about it and he's um, interpreted that way from the previous parables which I see this whole chapter sort of being a a flow of parables maybe in a day where Jesus is beside the sea firstly, he's talking to a crowd, he moves off with his disciples, they go into a house and he's explaining a little bit more to them. It seems to be this arching day, morning, afternoon kind of thing that's going on there. So I think Jesus is explaining the world here, this, this field as the world and then we interpret this man, the only man who can actually buy the world, who actually has the resources to buy the entire world, as Jesus. So we saw the man um, explain himself as Jesus there. And come to think of it, actually, when you look about all these other parables in, in, in Matthew chapter 13, I think Jesus is the main man in all of them. I think He's the man who's scattering the seed over the soils. He's the man who's scattering the sons of the kingdom in the wheat and the tares, he's the man who plants the, the, the little mustard seed that grows into the big shrub, he's the man who buys the field for the treasure in it and, spoiler alert, today he's the man who buys the, the pearl, exactly, with that American accent, Nadine, love it, the pearl, <laughs> you've got to express the pearl, great. So that's, that's my understanding of it, because Jesus is the most active man in this world, all right? He's the one planting, growing, nourishing, building this kingdom that he's, he's explaining here, okay? And then with a little bit of digging, last week we also nestled into the fact that I think this treasure in the world is Israel, all right? It's, it, it just became like everything else in the world, it just fit in with all the other nations around it, there was nothing there. Jesus died for it, bought the world for it, but then it's sort of covered up again because, well, they rejected their Messiah and they're still not pointing towards God. They're still not glorious treasure out on display like it should be or invested like it should be. But their times coming, as we see, like in Valley of Dry Bones, Ezekiel, all those sorts of things, Israel will come back to life and they will know who Jesus is. So... (laughs) That's where we'll leave them. But last week we asked the question of these two parables: like, as they're so similar in structure, they're so similar in structure. Do we look at it as what, option one, just an, an understanding of people's right attitude towards what they do when they obtain this kingdom, or two, is it Jesus, or is it God, Jesus and God talking about uh, the same way He relates to two separate entities? and then the similar kingdom growth that comes out and bubbles up and is deep-rooted out of those two entities, both of his, got, both of his people groups. Because I think it's the latter, because I think it's a little bit deeper and richer and more vibrant than the way we commonly apply these parables. So anyway, let's jump in, and let's start understanding this parable of this pearl of great price. So we first, I think we've got to... I think it's important i 'm just going to walk over here, grab my water first, I think it's important that we um, we ground it in like the right biblical context because we are separated culturally by how many thousands of years two thousand years exactly so we 've got like all this cultural change and stuff that's happened like our culture is different today than what it was like, when I grew up in the 1980s you know like Yet then we expand that over 2,000 years. There's been big cultural shifts and changes and things. So we can't always just read this and understand this applied to our lives. We've got to understand a little bit of what's actually going on underneath, what's going on, okay? So to start out with, the idea of a pearl being precious was weird back in those days. Pearls weren't a precious thing like they are today. Pearls weren't this prized possession. All right? Um, why was that? Well, scholars seem to think that for Hebrews, for the Hebrew tradition, it, was, it all stemmed back to in Deuteronomy. Jeru- Jeru- Jer- Deuteronomy. Thank you, Jadine. Thank you. I will never pay out your accent ever again. Um, back in Deuteronomy chapter 14. Uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, God is listening to the people all the things that they should and shouldn't eat, the things that they can and they can't eat and in, in verse 9 he says, of all that are in the waters you may eat these, whatever has fins and scales you may eat and whatever does not have fins and scales you shall not eat, it is unclean for you. Okay. So where do pearls come from? Baby shark Clams, oysters, oysters and things, shellfish, don't they? So, was oysters Kilpatrick a delicacy for the Hebrews, for the Jews, Israelites? Absolutely not, absolutely not. It was an unclean food. So, for them, they had no interest in this little rock that came out of an unclean animal, okay? Um. They were, however, aware of its value by seeing how the nations around, the traders from the nations around, reacted around these pearls. Okay, So they weren't, um, they didn't know of the value from their own tradition, but they understood the value from uh, another tradition. So to put it another way, the fact that a pearl is valuable well, the fact that a pearl would be valuable was a completely foreign, completely Gentile way of thinking. Okay, It was completely foreign to them, but it was a them kind of. Those other nations think it's valuable. We don't. Okay, So that's how they saw this pearl. So the fact that this we see this merchant, he's searching for fine pearls, and he finds a particularly exquisite one. Yeah, it's worth going all in to buy. Now we looked at this last week with the guy when he, the, when this man he buys the field, all right. And Jesus, as as we talked about last week, Jesus does this great sort of uh, like literary tool utility, I suppose, where he shows the people how much this pearl means to him. He just doesn't say, look, this man really values the pearl. He says, hey, this man sold everything he had to get this pearl. See how it paints like a whole much, like a heap more sort of colour onto that picture. You can sort of see what this man's willing to go through to get this pearl. Okay? So, as you know, like we talked about, like, you know, it's throwing everything in. He's, he's completely. Not, no thought of himself at all sort of comes into this. It's just completely all in on this one pearl, this one precious pearl. It's not like a whole bag. It's not a whole heap of like sort of misshaped, odd, fake pearls. It's not a bag of them. It's just one, one, one precious pearl. Not like a bunch of all different, different types of pearls, one pearl, one So, as we see last week, Jesus is the man buying the field to secure the treasure. Similarly here, it's Jesus buying the pearl. As we've seen earlier in the parables, Jesus is the one, you know, sowing the seed, sowing kings and sowing um, sons and daughters of the kingdom, planting the kingdom. He's giving his all to buy the field with the treasure in it. He's giving his all to buy this Gentile church pearl. Now, how do I jump there? That was a big jump. Explain that, Ben. Alright, let's go. Big jump uh, to to sort of portray and see the fulfilment of this parable. Let's jump into Acts chapter 10. And we'll, uh, we'll explore this imagery a little bit more. So in Acts chapter 10, we're introduced to this interesting guy. He's a Roman Italian, okay. which in the early church days makes him a... Gentile, thank you Luke, exactly, makes him a Gentile, and he's a centurion, which means he's in control of roughly, how many people? Roughly a hundred, exactly, roughly a hundred Roman soldiers, and this is the really cool bit about him, not the fact that he's a Gentile, or he's from Italy, or the fact that he controls a hundred troops, but the fact that his name is Cornelius, I just love the name Cornelius. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it just sounds really wise for some reason, doesn't it? Like Cornelius? Cornelius, you know? Or maybe it's just me growing up in the 90s with the Baba comics? The Baba cartoons? Did anyone? Oh, <laughs> yes. I'm so glad you're on board with this, Tonya. You must have kids my age or something. Is that what it was? Or were you were you a fan of them? Oh, yeah. They go back to my childhood. Really? Baba. Yeah, sure. Really? Oh, wow. We've learned everything today. If nothing else, Baba goes back a while, but anyway, Baba was the, like this, Cornelius was this, oh, we're getting way off track here, but I feel like I've got to close this loop, Baba was this, he was a military commander elephant and he had a monocle and he was very old and wise, exactly. Baba. Baba? okay, whatever. Anyway, Cornelius, it sounds like a really wise name, but we're, we're introduced to Cornelius here in Acts chapter 10. So Cornelius, when you read the story of Cornelius, he's seen as he's sort of he's, he's this he's this Gentile guy. He's he is seeing this Jewish movement happening around him. He's respectful of this Jewish movement's God. He's praying to this Jewish movement's God. He's giving generously to the people that are around him, um, and you kind of get the impression that he's kind of working it out. He's wanting to be part of it, but he's just like, I'm kind of out. Like, I'm kind of on the out here a little bit. I'm not really one of them. I'm not one of them from, a, like, a blood perspective. I'm not one of ethnic Israel. I don't know. I, I want to follow. He's sort of following from the fringes. So anyway, because at, at, at this point in time, like, there was no churches for him to just go and join. Like, this is, this is Christianity in its really early fetal stage. This, at this point in time, it's kind of just like a little small Jewish sect off to the side, no no real churches had sprung up or taken off yet. And so, randomly, uh, well, not very randomly, obviously, because everything that God does is not of random, but this angel of God shows up to Cornelius. And Cornelius is just wide-eyed in terror. What do you want, Lord? What do you want? He's got that recognition that this is somehow of God. This is a Lord, like he, there's a reverence aspect there. He's, he understands that much. The angel then goes on to explain. He says, look, like God's seen your prayers. God's seen how you're conducting yourself, how you're giving to the people around you. Um, he, he knows you're searching, trying to search him out. Get one of your servants and go to this place and collect this guy called Peter because and bring him back to yourself and he's going to tell you more. Okay. Meanwhile, the next day, 60-ish sort of kilometers down the coast, Peter. He's having his quiet time, he's having his prayer time up on the roof of his house. And he's distracted, he gets hungry. He's only a man, gotta have dogs gotta eat. <laughs> Big dog's gotta eat. He gets hungry, and then he so then he goes down, he's cooking himself up a feed, and he falls into this trance. And he sees in this trance this sheet of coming down from heaven and in it is all types of weird and wonderful animals and then he hears his voice coming at him and it says peter get up and eat or kill rise kill and eat like go and eat some of these animals and peter's like no, no. i've never eaten anything clean i'm not touching it i'm not touching it and this voice comes to him and says peter what god's made clean don't don't call common anymore it just happens three times and then this picnic blanket smorgasbord thing of unclean animals goes back up to heaven. And Peter's just, what do I do with that? That is the strangest dream. Like, was I just tripping out because I was really hungry? <laughs> or what? Like, that is so bizarre. So bizarre. So Peter, he's, he's confused. And then... He hears a knock at the front door and there's these people yelling out for him. Hey, we're looking, we're looking for a Peter guy. Peter, is he around here? Peter goes down and then these guys, they're Cornelius' servants. And they introduce him and, to themselves and then they tell him the full story of what's happened, why, why they've been sent to, get, to collect this Peter guy. And then the Holy Spirit tells Peter, hey, hey, go with them. Go, go with these guys, it's okay. So a couple of days later, Peter and, and, and he, the guys travelling with him, they're back with Cornelius, and this whole vision is starting to really make sense for Peter now, Okay, while he's talking with this Cornelius guy. It's that vision that he had is making sense. He's realised that this door has been flung open for everyone to come into this kingdom. Now, okay, not just the, it's not just a Jewish thing anymore. This is Gentiles, this is everyone. Anyone, any human on this earth can come in now. So Peter tells Cornelius' house the great story, the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, death, burial, resurrection, what they've got to do now. They've got to go out and make disciples like, you know, this is the church. This is this kingdom rolling into town. Let's get this thing moving. This is what Jesus started. This is it. And then the Holy Spirit floods into that room at that moment and these Jewish guys with Peter are just blown away by seeing these Gentile dudes, just the Holy Spirit lighting up their praise and their voices in this moment. And then they are baptised. It's just a great, great picture. And it's like now, Peter, this Cornelius guy, you guys are all in this together. This is what this church, this is what my kingdom, this is this movement, this is what it's going to be. Okay, Gentiles, everyone in on this. So, awesome story. How does it relate to our parable? So this this vision that Peter gets of these unclean animals and the sheep, and this voice then that proclaiming that God's made them clean. Imagery towards these that's its imagery towards these unclean Gentiles being accepted, being allowed, being opened up, and allowed in. Okay. And that now this message of, of Jesus' life and death, burial, resurrection, it's now to start blasting out through them as well, through the Gentiles. All right? This is going large. Okay, It's not just staying in Jerusalem. It's not just staying in Israel. This is going to the ends of the earth. That's what this imagery is. So the Lord is saying here, look, that oyster, that pearl, it's no longer unclean, all right? It's not common anymore. I'm saying it's clean. And I've thrown all in to buy it. All right? I've I've, I've given myself. I've given everything I have. I'm buying it. It's mine. Just like that treasure in the field, Israel and the world. Look, that man, he went to his utmost of lengths to buy it. And as, you know, was God's promise to Abraham, you know, through your your seed, all the nations will be blessed through me. So Jesus has come, bought the world... He wants Israel, he's bought the world, and, and it's his now. And he's made this, similarly, he's bought back the whole world, and now he's making known that this once unclean sort of bunch of Gentiles, this Gentile world, has also been bought by Jesus' blood. Okay, it's, it's as well, it's, it's also in this amazingly huge price it's been paid, it has been bought as well through Jesus' oh, Excruciating and messy and bloody, gory, like passage into and through and out of death. Okay, if you if you think of that imagery, like into, through, and out, it's like a full pass through. It's like in the in the bow hunting world, like if you get a pass through on like saying you're saying like shooting a pig or something, you try, you aim it. It's like this is getting crazy, isn't it? Um, you, you shoot like an arrow and the broad head on the arrow punches through its lungs punches through its heart and punches out the other side that's what you call a pass through and it's, it's the quickest way to just knock that animal straight out like it's, it's gone it's dead straight away and I love that imagery because I think of that as Jesus with death like he's just punched in punched out and it's just gone straight through and it's just completely immobilised it's death is death is dead yeah? okay now that i got that crazy imagery out of my head. Um, so, we see in these two little parables, God giving up everything to buy his peoples, okay? To buy his people groups for himself. Firstly, he's buying the world with Israel. Now he's buying the, the pearl. Everybody, everybody who wants to claim Jesus as king in their life, any, anyone, doesn't matter, I don't care who you, where you're from, anybody can come in and be part of this. And that's what Jesus is saying, that's what he's bought. And that's what, that's what makes up this one people, God's people, the church. It makes up all of us. That's why we can, you know, we can say, you know, we can hang out with Fidel, our brother, you know, we can go to another country and we can sit in a church in Africa or we can church, sit in a church in Asia or wherever else and we can worship the same God together because we all want one giant family. It's like me and my Iraqi neighbours, like if they come to know Jesus we're all in that pearl together, okay? We're all one big family. So, now, as we see this global church as this pearl, let's just look at a bit of the ontology of a pearl and just mine some of the deep imagery out of it that Jesus has left for us here. Like, we've already established that a pearl comes from an oyster, but how does a pearl start? Does anybody know? Yeah, it starts as like a foreign object, an irritant. Exactly, Nadine, that's a great word. Yes, it starts as an irritant, like an irritation. Okay, It's this little foreign object or a bit of sand or whatever inside that shell. Except the oyster, instead of ejecting it, instead of repelling it, instead of pushing away from it and separating it from itself or just getting it in-house and just destroying it, it doesn't do that it begins to coat it in this strong resilient like iridescent sort of substance it's called nacre i think that's how you pronounce it nacre i think is what this pearl's made of and layer onto layer onto layer over the years decades over this irritating thing grows, 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 grows into this like highly precious, beautiful gem to be put on display and treasured. Now, one, I love this imagery of the pearl beginning because it reinforces Jesus' points earlier with, um, in the parable around the little mustard seed and the leaven because the kingdom of God starts small and hidden away. Secondly, I love it because it gives you... I think there's a lot to be said for the... For the and look, I'm, I might be reading too much into this, but like my mind goes to these kind of depths on things. Um, I love the idea of the pearls' initiation being that of an irritant and then the response towards it being so wonderful. You see what I mean? Like, you know, the pearl could have just get rid of it, like, get it away from me. But no, it responds to it and it coats it. It accepts it, it's not harsh back to it, It just coats it. it, keeps coating it. That irritant, still irritating, coat it. Keep going, keep going. 70 times 7, kind of keep going. Layer on layer on layer. See, I have really struggled with this a little bit in my life and I don't, I'm not ready to talk about it yet, but I get so, my selfishness, my, sorry, my fleshiness wants to lash out when people say stupid things. All right? And Christians, we're really good at saying stupid things. And I get really irritated against other Christians sometimes. But what am I called to do when we look at this? I'm meant to love back. And so often we want to lash out and we want to reject. We want to isolate, compartmentalise things that cause us discomfort, things that cause us irritation, things that cause us to question the status quo of just comfortable Western Christianity. We want to get rid of that. We don't want to be challenged. Yuck, get it away from me kind of thing. What are we called to do, though? Not that. Love that. Love it over and above. So, what example did Jesus set us in this? See, when He came to buy the field with the treasure in it, He gave up everything He had. And when He buys the pearl, He gives up everything He has. Everything. All right, so we, like Isaiah says that um, Isaiah says that he poured out his soul to death. And Paul in Philippians says that he emptied himself. So if you look, apply this parable to that, for Jesus doing that, like he's emptied his treasury, like he's. Broken, broken himself he's like almost like bankrupted himself he's pauperized himself he's as adrian would say he's himself which is a cool word i'm gonna adapt it into my vocabulary it's probably an adrianism isn't it yeah but he's, jesus has done all these things to himself for his treasure for his people And, and, and with his full view of history, like he sees what beautiful pearl this annoying little thing is going to become. Like in all its flaws and all its problems, with coatings of love and understanding, more love and understanding, grace. He knows what beautiful thing it's going to become. He knows that it's worth dying for in the instance, because he's going to get this precious one single pearl at the end of it. So, that's why he can go through all the messy, messy death of the cross, bloody, gory, you know, that's why he can go through that, because he saw what he was going to buy at the end of it. He sees that, he understands his church, which is why you Gentiles, sitting here in Willowburn, little old awkward Willowburn, uncomfortable willow burn. You know, 2,000 years later, in Australia, that's why you can be here. Because Jesus did it for you. And he did it for you. He did it for you. and did it for you. And all of you that I didn't catch eye contact with then. But you know what I mean. Like, this is us. This is the church. This is what we're called into being. So, that's our example Jesus responded to the hatred toward him in just love and giving himself up to it entirely. Entirely. As have... Let's just... We'll leave it there and we'll just look at our, the world since Jesus. Like As have many Christians who've followed in his footsteps. We can look at secular history now and see how many Christians have done this. Our brother, the Catholic priest... In the intro, Maximilian Kolbe, he's one of these guys, okay? Who responds in not rejecting that irritant, not expelling it, not destroying that little annoying speck. Like, he so could have. He could have just, you know, taken it and just run away and, you know, just, who cares about that other guy? Who cares? I'm just going to ride my days out here. He could have. But they've given up themselves to respond in love as Jesus did. Over and over, over and over, and through, it's this completely upside down way of thinking in comparison to the world. If, in this world, if someone hurts you, what do you do back to them? Exactly, you punch them in the teeth, or the neck, or something. You know, like, it's completely opposite. If, if in this world, if someone's strong, you must be stronger. If someone meets you in court, you must get bigger, better lawyers on side. If someone tries to take away your rights, no, you get more lawyers. You go to the media and you start a campaign, you fight back. <laughs> hey, I could say so much there. But I just, want to, I just want us to bring us back to this imagery of this precious pearl. It's just continued to grow wherever it's found by Christians responding like Christ would have. Okay? its It's... This little kingdom, this little pearl has grown through history, like thinking back to, you know, Owen Barfield with C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, like those guys in that little pub in Oxford, okay? That little pearl was growing there in the little hidden away place where you would not expect it. Also, it's growing in a not-so-hidden away place where you still would not expect it. And Kanye, whenever you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> I'm cheering you on, brother. But you know what I mean? Like This kingdom can grow anywhere. But it's this responding in love as well towards hatred. And Timmy talked about this so good this morning actually around the kingdom growth and loving those who hate us. And thank you so much, Tim, for talking to our kids around that, mate. That was great. So just leading out into next week, open, Sorry, Outer Circle Sunday, whatever we're doing... Um, I'd love to go around and ask people, but I don't want to throw it to you, which is only 30 seconds to think about it. But next Sunday, when you go out into the world, or you invite other people from the world in around you, in what small seemingly insignificant way are you going to coat love on something that would ordinarily irritate you, that you want nothing to do with? Got an idea, Jen? You're smiling. It's true. Like, I, want us to, I want us to think about that. What's irritating you? Who can you not stand? How can you love that person? How can you add your little layer, add to that little layer of this growing beautiful pearl of this kingdom of God that Jesus has started and Jesus is looking for and Jesus has bought and he, he wants and he's given up everything for it. Everything for it. So how are you going to partner in Jesus under that, under the power of His Holy Spirit, in doing that next week? Just think about that question. Because Jesus has given everything He had for this multi-ethnic, beautiful, worldwide church, this pearl of incredible price.